Welcome to the Origin Canine Podcast, where our mission is to enhance the lives of working canines and handlers. We achieve this mission by speaking to the authentic and inspiring voices of the working canine community and by manufacturing high-quality tactical canine equipment from the Gold Coast of Australia. Check us out at www.origincanine.com. Enjoy the show. G'day guys, welcome to another episode of the Origin Canine Podcast. Um, this is probably episode 15, I'm not sure when I'm going to release this one, so it's it's either 15 or above. Um, so today we've got Ben Gertz. Um, if you haven't heard of Ben Gertz, you, you probably have if you're in Australia. So Ben's a former military police canine handler in the Australian Army. Um, he is one of the co-founders of Canine Solutions Australia. Um, he's been a capability manager for one of our police departments and he currently runs Kaizen Canine over in Perth, Western Australia. Welcome, bro. How you going, man? Good, mate. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're up, bro. How, how awkward is that intro when I'm like, I'm sitting here looking at you but I'm not talking to you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um... Mate, so what I'll what I'll do, dude, I'll we'll talk about. I want to get like a bit of an idea about growing up, yep. le- leading into the army, and then we'll just take it from there, man. So like, hit us with hit us with where you grew up and how that led to you. Where I grew up. up, okay. Yeah, specifically <laughs> well, or rather specifically to the dogs. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I was born in um, in Redfern in Sydney. And uh, we moved around a lot, been all sort of lived all over Australia. I went to 12 different schools. Fucking hell. Yeah, so, um, which was interesting. Uh, but mostly in Sydney, but we, we, we got to w, WA, we got to, um, we lived in Wyala for a little while, we lived in Brisbane for a little while, we've been all over the place as kids. Um, and probably st- started a bit of a passion for dogs when we lived in the western suburbs of Sydney in a place called Rossmoor. Um, that's probably where the dog thing started. Um, my parents went through a phase, well, my dad went through a phase where um, he's a little on the spectrum, so he won't listen to this, so I should be okay. Uh, where uh, He went through a phase where he was after the perfect dog. We lived on about 10, 15 acres. And he had an idea we we're going to get the perfect dog, and we we're going to get it from the Animal Welfare League, which happened to be like down the road. So I went through this phase of getting a dog. No, it wasn't working out. Sending it back to the Welfare League, grabbing another one, wasn't working out. And then I was, I kept taking it as my mission to try and make sure that this one wouldn't be sent back. Um, so I kept trying to make sure it was a nice dog, make sure it ate its food properly, had no troubles, didn't cause any troubles. I tried to exercise or walk it a lot for them. Um, I wasn't very successful. <laughs> but um, uh, that's sort of where I grew a bit of a passion for dogs and I, I sort of uh, a bit of a feeling for dogs, I guess. Yeah. Um, then probably... We moved into the western, inner western suburbs of Sydney, some pretty sort of not great areas. We lived in St Mary's, um, which is like um, mainly a housing commission sort of sort of area. Um, and I was probably heading down a shitty sort of place 
in, in life. And my younger brother actually joined the Defence Force, joined the Army. And um, What, what year are we uh, talking about now? He joined in 94, I think. Yep. And then I joined shortly. I, I had an apprenticeship as a boilermaker at the time. Um, but I, I was drinking a lot and I, I wasn't... I wasn't doing my TAFE and I was just basically going down the shit shoot. So I... <laughs> the shit shoot, I, I'm stealing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't have any self-discipline. Um, and I sort of, I was lucky enough, I guess I was aware of it. Um, and I realised that the army would would make me do things. So I joined the army. So it was almost like... Punishing myself for having no self-discipline. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what, what's that? That'd be about ninety-five, wouldn't it? Ninety-five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you grew up in Redfern, do you have any Indigenous heritage? Because that's obviously for people listening. That's a massive Indigenous uh, hub, so to speak, in Australia. Yeah. No, I've not got any Indigenous heritage, and, and we didn't grow up there. I was born there. Oh, I gotcha. In uh, in the women's hospital in Redfern. And we lived in Tempe, which is right next door. Um, and then we moved not long after that. So we moved a lot back back then. Dad always seemed to get itchy feet. But he was in the military for a little while as well. Yeah. So we moved a fair bit. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really raised there. Probably if you could, if I would put my finger on where I was raised, predominantly it'd be Sydney, in the western suburbs of Sydney. Yeah, gotcha. And so, is your dad actually on the autistic? Autism spectrum, or he's just a well, um, maybe he's not been diagnosed. It's a running joke in the family. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> we always say, and I <laughs> we always say, Dad's a Spurges as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you may you may have to edit that out. <laughs> oh, I can say that. <laughs> Does it run in the family, Ben? <laughs> hey, well, actually, my my um my youngest son's. I've got Asperger's, so... Really? So, yeah. And yeah. so, do you actually think that your dad really does have Asperger's and, and that it, it's sort of skipped a generation, so to... Well, has it skipped a generation? I don't know. <laughs> yes, it has. Yes, it has, Brownie. <laughs> <laughs> Depends who you talk to. Yeah. No, but um, my boy definitely was was diagnosed with Asperger's. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Mm. Has, that, has that ever made you go, hey, Dad, like... Because what's what's your son's name? If you don't mind saying on this, sort Brody. Of Brody. So if you're Brody. like, hey, Dad, Brody's got Asperger's. Do you think maybe you do, or have you, has it ever been suggested, or is it just like, uh, Dad's just a bit eclectic and a, and a bit out there, so we just let him do what he does? Nah, I think all the family's pretty sure of it actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, yeah, he's in his mid sixties. He he doesn't care. He's just like whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it'd be yeah. one of those things where you're like, "Hey, Dad, you've got Asperger's," and he'd be like, eh, "Nothing yeah. I'm going to do about it now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. but, I mean, now that I know what Brody's sort of gone through in life, and then I think about, um, I look at my old man a bit different to to sort of how he was. You mean like in a more forgiving kind of way, or? Yeah. Yeah, it makes more sense how he was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Not that he was a bad person, he was a good dude, but... And, but yeah. it just might explain some of the little, some of the semantics and some of the... That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
So, yeah. like, I, I just want to hit on that dog part for a sec before we go into the military stuff. Um, why, what was, what's prompted him to have this obsession with the dogs? I'm not really sure. I was, I was in my sort of, like, 12, 13 at the time. Yep. So, I'm not really sure. All I know was, and, and I was not super aware of what was happening around me all the time, so in my own little world, um, as you are when you're 12, 13, I guess. So he, um, I don't know, just, we just kept getting new dogs, and then the dog would be here for a few weeks, then we'd get another new one. That's yeah. all I knew of it, yeah. And I guess and now, he, yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, he was like that all his life. He'd come up with these obsessions and, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, knowing what you know now about Asperger's and being on the spectrum and whatnot, you, you, that's probably one of those things where you're like, oh, that explains the dog thing, yeah. you know. He might have just seen a dog or whatever and then he's obsessed with it. And, yeah, 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 interesting, yeah. At one stage, I shouldn't, I feel like I'm ragging a while, man, now, but <laughs> <laughs> at one stage he went through a phase where he loved, he was right into CB radios. Okay. And he got like the biggest fucking antenna you've ever seen in your life on our roof and it was fucking gigantic <laughs> and he would have conversations with people via cb in america in england wow and i don't know how he was and he he knew you know how it was happening and the things were bouncing in the ionosphere and whatever i don't know <laughs> yeah he was he's obsessive compulsive about things yeah and um, serious question, do you, do you think that rubbed off on you? If, you know, your dad's obsessed with these dogs and you're like, well, I'm going to be just as obsessed saving the dogs, making them better. Yeah, p potentially, potentially. I, yeah, I, I don't know, I was, a, I was a sensitive little kid, um, which is a bit odd because I'm not really that sensitive now, but I was a sensitive little kid. And I think I was just, like, sad every time one went back to the Animal Welfare League. Um, yeah, so... And then, you know, I've got a bit of an obsessive personality as well with things. Um, but, but I don't think that's what was at play then. I was just a sensitive kid just going, oh, no, I like this one. I, want to, I don't want this one to go back there. Because I didn't know what would happen when they went back there. Um, yeah. If they'd, you know, be euthanised or whatever. Yeah. But I, I think it was a no... A no-kill um, shelter. So let's put a warm and fuzzy spin on it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to Google it. What was it called? <laughs> um, okay, and I, and I imagine like, and I, I want to, I'll move on in, in a second, but I imagine that sort of stuff like formed the way that you train dogs later because you're like, I fucking care about these dogs. I don't want them to get euthanized or sent away or have a shit life. Yeah. So, like, you know, the way you train would be like, I love this dog. I need it to survive. Yeah. I need it to live a good, a good, happy life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the way I've trained's really evolved. Really evolved. Um, getting my start in the military. Um, I was in, the, like you said, I was in the military police first. And their training at the time was done by the Air Force. Yep. And that's where we did our dog training course. And it was all Keeler method. Um, I don't know if you know much about the Keeler method, but that's sort of, you know, that um, is almost the basis for dog training 50 years ago, sort of how everyone was doing it. Um, and the RAF 
method was completely based on, well, not completely, but mostly based on that. So it's real crash and bash, choke chains or compulsion. Um, and, and I don't train like that at all anymore. I've really gone away from it. And, and the more I've learnt about dogs and, and trained dogs, the my approach gets softer by the year and more more intuitive, more working with the dog. Um, yeah, so it's, it's constantly evolving. Yeah, definitely, man. And that, that's the reason I wanted to touch on those sort of things because I'm sure later we'll, we'll get into the whole... Maybe not down the rabbit warren, but like a little bit of the, you know, positive only versus nipopo or whatever that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Easy. All right, well, Matt, get into the military, dude. Like, hit us up. Did you join as a handler? No. I, I joined... Well, back then, you couldn't you couldn't pick your job when you, when you joined. Yeah, you just joined. Then you went to Kapuka... You, and during Kapuka, your platoon was allocated jobs and you would pick one. And, or, or you'd pick three and you'd get one of them. They'd decide which one you get. So, um, yeah, so I, at Kapuka, the three I had to choose from were infantry, artillery, or um, a cook. Didn't really want to be a cook. I didn't join that, that, the army to cook for people. And I was really on the fence between infantry and artillery. Um, but the idea of going to Manly for 13 weeks to do the gun course seemed pretty cool. So I chose artillery. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was a gun number. <laughs> gun bunny. Mm, yeah, gun bunny. That's right. A serious question. Hard job. What the fuck is with the gun bunny thing? Like, is that a real thing or is that an absolute piss take? Uh, I think it's just a piss take. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was when I was in and I saw a video, they were doing something like this, like where they're all like hopping in a line or something. Like, and now that I think back, look, it was an absolute piss take. But I was like, is that a real thing? The fucking gun. I, I never had to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, sweet. All right. So how how soon after going into the arty did you go to MPs and then decide doggies was the way you were going to go? Yeah, so I was um, – actually, they the, they sent me on a promotion course, a sub one for corporal, and on the promotion course I met a guy called Brad Milner who was in the MPs as a dog handler at Oakey and um, got talking to him. Love dogs, had had two dogs at the time, and um, he just told me all about being a dog handler and how awesome it was, and um, basically I, I thought of nothing else, and while I was on the sub one for corporal course, I decided I was going to put my transfer when I got back to the unit, which didn't make them too happy, um, but that's what I did. As soon as I got back to the unit, I put my tra- transfer in to the MPs to be a dog handler, and I was lucky enough where I... Did my MP course and went straight to um, uh, straight to Amberley to do my dog course. Yeah, straight after the MP course. Yeah, that was in 1999. Okay. Oh shit! So just before Timor. Oh, when was Timor? Was 99. It was just before Timor. Yeah. 
Yeah, because when was Team War? Yeah. It was like September '99. Uh, yeah, kicked off late late '99. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Did you end up going over to Timor? No. Uh, well, I did, but not with the MPs. I ended up going with the Air Force years later. Oh, okay. Um, I transferred to the Air Force in 2001. 2001. Yeah, 2001. Because um, the MPs were talking about making us normal MPs, even though we were dog, we were dog handlers. Um, and I... And I just had no interest in being a, a general duties military policeman at all. Um, so I transferred to the Air Force to stay a dog handler. Yeah. All right. In 2001. And then the, the whole unit, oh, suffice to say, the unit then went to East Timor straight after I transferred. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, ah, oh, finally Ben's gone. Let's go to Timor. <laughs> yeah. So, that's it. Yeah, right. Such is life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of used the way, hey. Um, yeah. So can you just give us a rundown on the difference between MP dog handling uh, in terms of like the role and the capability, MPs and the yeah. RAF doggies? Well, at the time, nothing. At, at the time, there was no difference. They both just did flight line security. The MPs did it at Oki Aviation Base and the RAFies did it at all the RAF bases around Australia. Um now they, they seem to have gone down a different path, the MPs, where they're sort of, they're doing more tracking and, and working with the infantry a lot more rather than um, just doing flight line security. I think they don't do any flight line security now, the MPs. I'm happy for someone to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they don't do any. So they're quite different now, but at the time they're identical. Yeah, okay. And in terms of methodology, because RAFIs were training... MPs would have been exactly the same, right? At the time, exact same. Yeah. Yep. And you were using mostly shepherds or males? Mostly German shepherds then. Uh, my first dog was a German shepherd. Um, I had three dogs on calls. Um, the first one I had was a dog called Socks, which is a German shepherd, but he was a little, he was a bit uh, defensive, sort of fearful type German shepherd. And um, in one of the training seals, he ran past me and kept running. <laughs> so they took him. Uh, he, he couldn't pass, having done that. Then the next one got injured. Um, so they took him off. And he was a really nice dog called Scud. And then I ended up with Salem, which is a little angry, a little angry, aggressive little thing. Um, but, but a cool dog. Um, but he was a, a German Shepherd as well. But they just started getting the mouths in there. So I think we were the first course that had Malamars on it. Yes, yeah, course. And oh, I, we didn't want, no one wanted a Mal back then. We looked at them, we're like, oh, look at these rat-looking things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, who would have thought 20 years later? <laughs> yeah. That's my breed of choice now. But at the time, no one wanted them. We looked at the, they were smaller. They were, they were smaller than Mal's are mostly now. Um. But there were a couple of rippers, a couple of little rippers, but they were really little dogs. I remember one on course called Riggs, which Westy had. He was a little a little weapon. Yeah, really cool little dog. Um, but uh, yeah. They were they were they weren't there weren't that many of them back then. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And what about um so when September eleven happened, um yeah. 
Did that have any particular meaning to you in terms of your military career? Were you like, fuck, I've got to go to fucking special operations or get overseas? Or you were just sort of happy doing the thing you were doing and, and just what the military, where the military sends you, they send you kind of thing? Yeah, I think I think I, I didn't have a huge dramatic response. I probably feel bad for saying that. But yeah, I, I just sort of went about my business. I mean, when it happened... The base immediately went into like meltdown. Um, you know that that classic dramatic response, and we basically lived on base for like two weeks. Um, just and then like you would we would have had like seven or eight doggies on shift every night. Um, we were just because obviously the terror alert went right up, and everyone was scared that something would happen in Australia, and and so I guess we were too busy thinking that something may happen at one of our bases. Like, they really had a... I don't know whether they had information or it was just a knee-jerk, probably a knee-jerk. But um, um, we just went, like, like full, you know, hardcore, <laughs> protect the base at all costs, like, like we were under immediate threat. And obviously we weren't, and it fizzled out over a few weeks. But, um, yeah, I guess I just was busy doing that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. So then, when you were with, so that was when you were with the RAF, or you were still with MPs. Yeah, that I was in Perth then with the Air Force when September 11 happened. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And is that is that Pierce or is that? Yeah, I was a yeah. RAF based Pierce. Yeah. Yeah, I went there in like yeah. 2008 for a course, and it's a nice little base, man. <laughs> it's a nice little base. Yeah, it it's is. a bit far away from everything, but it's a nice little base. Yeah. So walk us through your military career then, dude. So when you're with the RAF, like places you went, you you would have worked your way up the ranks. And I know you ended up posted back over into Perth. Um, yeah, give us the rundown, dude. Yeah, okay. So uh, transferred to RAF 2001. Um, they posted me to, to Pierce. So I went straight away to, to Pierce. Oh, we had to do some gap training. That was funny. Um, I had to learn to sign keys in and out and special stuff like that to, to be qualified as a rough dog handler. <laughs> um, but after we finished our gap training and we could function as a rough dog handler, uh, posted to Pierce. Uh, I was there for a couple of years. Then got a posting to the rough dog school at Amberley. Um, and that was that was probably the one of the best postings, I think, I've ever had, and I was really lucky to get that posting. Um, super stressful because we were in a really huge, um, large period of change, and there is people resist change so much, um, and that's been a sort of a, a common theme throughout my career. Is I'm always trying to improve everything, even the way we do things here in, in Kaizen. Like the way we did them three years ago is completely different to how we're doing them now. And I'm constantly trying to improve, but in the dog world, that's people don't like that. <laughs> people don't like that, so change, they resist change heavily, almost everywhere I go. Anyway, so we were at, at the school at Amberley. It was awesome. I was posted to um, uh, the puppy development uh, imprinting. At, I mean, for eight months of my my time there, all I did was imprint puppies. Um, and I'll tell you what, that's like for eight months, 
going to work every day with a grin from ear to ear, like wondering how did I get so lucky to do this? It was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was at, there. I was in the juvenile development. We we're in the, obviously the breeding cell for a little while, um, and the training flight for a little while as well. Um, so did all sort of roles there, which is really good. Also, there got to go to so many different seminars. The RAF um, really, I was really lucky where they really invested in our education at the time. And um, it was a perfect time for me to, to start learning because, you know, as you do, I thought I knew everything. And then the more I learned, the less I realised I knew. Um, and so that was good. In 2004, I left. I, I got a posting out of there to Amberley, which is right next door, so the, the dog section, which did the, the flight line security for um, Rough Base Amberley. Yep. Was there for another year and a half or two, and then posted to Darwin, Rough Base Darwin. Um, while in Rough Base Darwin, got deployed to Timor, which was, which was a good experience. Um, and it wasn't a warfighter role, it was just flight line security again, but still an interesting experience. And what year was that? Um, sorry? What year was that to the team? Uh, maybe 2007. Okay. Something like that. So that was just after that big surge in 2006, I think. There was a bit of an uptick in violence over there, wasn't there? Yeah, it was like a year or two after that. So it may have been a bit later, 2008 or something. It was somewhere, somewhere around then. Yeah. There wasn't much happening when, when I got there, to be honest. I was all geared up, ready to fight wars, and be a peacekeeper, and then I realised it's just I'm just drinking coffee and sitting under the wing of a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey. Did, did, you, did, did you enjoy the trip, though? Like, you would, have, you would have gone out to some different places, maybe, and had your dog there and... Oh, it was a great experience. Yeah, I, lo- I love the trip. Great experience. Um, and, I, and I love the country. I love East Timor. Beautiful country. The people are, uh, are beautiful. They're great people. Um, so, yeah, I love the experience. I don't want to sort of make it sound like it was bad. It was, it was a great experience. It just wasn't, um, it wasn't what I had hoped. It wasn't like I never got a bite with my dog. I never got close to a bite. I stopped a few people stumbling through the base late at night a couple of times and they were all just very sorry and almost overly compliant. Meanwhile, I'm like, come on, one move, come on, do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> come on, I'm here, kill me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, so I, I guess, and I was, sorry, I was still pretty young and you, know, you work yourself up thinking you're going to be something you're not and then you realise, I oh, know. I'm just a security guard. That's okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that was fine. Um, where did I end up after that? Left, left, um, left down and got posted back to Pierce. Yeah, and I got deployed to Timor again. Oh, twice, okay. Yeah, so I've been to Timor twice with, with my dog. So one, once from Pierce and once from Darwin. The second trip to Timor was, was better. Le- less was happening, but this time I had no expectations. I knew what I was going to do. There was no sort of false expectations in my head. Uh, I'd, I'd gone and learned the language uh, on, a, on a course at the School of Langs. Learned how to speak Tatum, 
so then I just immersed myself in the culture and was just talking to the locals all the time. I went for walks through the town all the time and jogs through town, and it was it was it was a really good experience. So, um, and after Pierce, I got posted to um, the SASR as a as one of the DLOs, one of the dog trainers there, and that's where I finished my career. Yeah, yeah, I, I discharged. Um, a year after that post, you know, did another uh, year and a half reserve, as a reservist there after I discharged. Um, in Swanbourne? Sort of those guys for about two and a half years, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, at one stage I was like um, working more days there as a reservist than I was as, when I was in the permanent Air Force. <laughs> so, yeah, which, which was good because I'd left and I, had, I didn't really know what I was doing to make ends meet. Um, but but that really helped. So they really looked after me. Yeah. What um what you did you get posted back to Swanbourne? Um, I think two thousand and thirteen. I got posted to Swanbourne. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. And that's obviously where you met Jace Kelly, and then you guys would have formed a relationship to then start Canine Solutions later. No, no. I met Jason Kelly years earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah, years earlier in um, in Amberley, actually. Yeah, a long time earlier. Yeah, and then um, yeah, he worked for me in Darwin as well. So we we knew each other for a long time. We became really good mates in Darwin. Um, yeah, he worked for me there, and then um, he got posted to um, SASR from Darwin. Yeah, okay. And then I got posted to Pierce. And then not long after the posting to Pierce is when we started Canine SA. Yeah, okay. Because mm. I've, I've heard a couple of potties with him and he talks about that sort of phase, that, that period, sorry. Um, so give us the rundown on, on being posted over to Swanbourne um, to SASR. So what was your role as a DLO? Basically... Train them, train dogs, train dogs, take bites. Um, that's basically your role as a DLO. Get the, make sure the dogs are ready when the operators need them. Dress the dogs. You know, set out, set up um, training cereals for the for the operators when they're because because they're obviously got a lot on. They're super busy, or they were super busy, um, and so they'd be doing all their operator stuff, and then they'd be like, "Hey, I've got a window between." You know, four and five. Um, can you set up a cereal for me? And then you'd set up a cereal. Then they'd come, take their dog, run the cereal, and then take off to do more operator stuff. And then you'd pack up. Yeah. So your main role as a as a dealer, or my main role back then. Obviously, things changed, but back then was the main role was training dogs and preparing dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And because it was so, it was probably still quite operational. I imagine when you got there, twenty thirteen, right? Well, they just sort of finished. They just sort of finished. So the tempo in training was still sort of operation, operationally focused. Yeah. Um, because they didn't know if there was going to kick back off again or something. Um, but I wasn't. I never really was sending anyone anywhere. One of our dogs went overseas a couple of times, but it wasn't in a war a war role. Um, yeah. So it was it was a high tempo of training. 
and definitely operationally focused. Um, but I guess those guys probably always are. Yeah. Um, but 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 um, Afghan had really wound wound back by then. So when you were there, there were no like dog casualties still coming back because I don't think there were any. After 2013, I think maybe 2013 was probably the last dog they would have lost. Yeah, I was there after, definitely after that. There were no casualties when I was there. Yeah, okay. Awesome. And like, you obviously loved your time there, right? Working with a unit like that and the guys were pretty cool. And Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Awesome place to work. Hard, bloody hard work. Yeah. But, but great place to work. Um, it's, it, the best thing about working there for me was... Um, working with those sort of people with that mindset coming from the Air Force um, I've always struggled with the Air Force mindset of sort of a, a bit of a minimalistic attitude in some ways uh, with, with a lot of the with a lot of the handlers um, and going to that environment they're all super professional um, they'd ask, if the operators needed advice with dog training, they they were open, they were, and these are like, you know, elite athletes, elite thinkers, elite marksmen, like like they're the elite people, but they would still be super humble to ask you for dog training advice, and and they knew when they didn't know stuff, and they weren't proud about it they just wanted to be better so you'd be like okay you need to do this and this and this they'd go away they'd do those things and then they'd do some extra things on top of that and that's that professional attitude if they were sick they'd come anyway to work whereas some you know in the, in the rest of the world people are sick that they're, they're looking for a way out these guys are the opposite they're sick, they're angry because they're sick. <laughs> I've got shit to do. They're injured. They're like, no, I'm not injured. Don't worry. Yeah. Strap it up. And they'd keep going. And that sort of professional attitude's um, super rare. And, and working with people like that who learn so fast was super enjoyable. Super enjoyable. The flip side of that is they, they demand a lot of you as well. Yep. So some, it wouldn't be unheard of to be sitting in the suit for six to eight hours um, and just they'd roll like 10 dogs through a cereal and, and each, each cereal takes an hour to run and you're just sitting out there in the suit waiting for it in the middle of the night waiting to be bitten. <laughs> yeah, and, and I remember times where you're falling asleep in between dogs coming because you're just so tired and then you... <laughs> You'd wake up in a in a fit of terror as you <laughs> as you hear the footsteps of a dog running through the bush or something. So um, they demand a lot of you, but yeah, great great place to live. Yeah, nice man. And you would have been there with like um, Andy White, uh, Marco O'Hare, those kind of guys. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marco wasn't there when I was there. He'd he'd left just before, but Andy White was there. Um, for a little while, um, and a few of the other boys, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know whose name I'm allowed to say. But, uh, um, I only mention those two because I know that they're both yeah. out, and they're both in yeah. that sort of space. There's other guys yeah. that I, I wouldn't say their name because I like I know they're yeah. out, but I'm like I don't know the guy, and I don't know if he's still in the dog space or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. I was there with Will, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He's he's been sort of pretty. Oh, Ryan Wilson. Um, pub, 
Yeah, Ryan yeah, Wilson. He was on here yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. I'll have to listen to that one. He's yeah. A, he's a top dude, we'll cool. say. Yeah, he, I was his dealer. Ah, cool, um, yeah. Great dude, yeah. man. I had a good chat with him, actually. Awesome guy, awesome guy. Great guy to work for as well. Yeah, so really, really good guy. Um, his dog was hilarious, Kenny. The funniest dog I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you laugh <laughs> so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he was he was awesome. I was his dealer while I was there and a few other guys as well, yeah. But oh, I think nice. some of them are still in too, so I won't, yeah. So what's, um, mate, give us the rundown on, on Canine Solutions. Like, who sort of came up with the idea and why did you do it? Why did, I, why did we do it? Um, I guess as, as an exit plan for, get, for getting out of the Air Force for, for me. Smart, it was a yeah. I probably wanted to get out of the Air Force for quite some time. But, um, you know, it's hard to, to have the balls and with the job security and all that to just to just pull the pin on that. Um, Jay, me and Jace spoke about it a lot when we were in Darwin. So we should start our own business, blah, 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 blah. And then he sort of pulled the pin on it in, um, in when, when, when we were in Pierce. Well, I was in Pierce, he was at the regiment. And then he's gone, hey, I've started, I've started a business. Uh, I'm like, oh, okay. I think it might have been just after he left the regiment, actually. Yeah, he'd left the regiment. It was in Amberley, I think. Yeah. And he's gone, I've started a business. Yeah, it was. He was at Amberley. Oh, okay. He'd had, he'd had enough of the Air Force. Um, and he said, I've started a bit. We, we've just started a business, Ben. Canine Solutions. <laughs> oh, so, as in like, he was like, this is, this is the business idea we talked about. We're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. I've just registered a business name. It's happening. And I'm like, oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. I guess we're in business. Yeah. And that, that's sort of how it happened. Yeah. So what was the what was that like doing? Because you were still in, right, when you came on station yeah. started. So what was that like being still in the RAF posted to, yeah. I assume you were still posted to SASR and doing Canine Solutions? Like, talk me through some of the, the, the logistics and the challenges of doing that. Yeah, it was a pain in the fucking ass, to be honest. <laughs> Yep. It's funny, like, the Air Force basically forced me to discharge um, because I was getting complaints, oh, I don't know, once a quarter about conflict of interests and um, um, using IP, RAF IP and, and all sorts of stuff like this. People were just putting complaints and then um, obviously I wasn't well liked, I guess, which is... um. Yeah, maybe I've got to work on that. <laughs> but um, so it got to the stage where sort of I was a reservist and then I was even working with the SAS, I was still getting brought in and spoken to by the Air Force. Um, what, well, they call you over to Pierce or something? Yeah. Uh, we want to interview you for conflict. Uh, there's been a complaint about conflict of interest or there's been a complaint about... Your wore cams in a video you put on social media, and even though you can buy cams from a disposal store, um, disposals like just with it, and it's just people. Just I don't know. As soon as you start to do something um, that looks remotely bold, 
people just try and bring you down. I've just worked that out. So, um, so that's what happened. Um, so in the end, it was all, I just got I was over it, and um, I just started doing less and less days with it with the reservists. And then I got to the stage where I was I wasn't even doing reserve days anymore. That I still got a um, a, a letter uh, from someone saying oh, we wore cams in a video or something. I can't even remember what. So I just um, said I can't quit. <laughs> so they basically forced me to quit which um and then funnily enough they've contacted me like three or four times to try and offer me a reservist position um, <laughs> it's fucking just, rotten and, eh? <laughs> and i just said no and i not like i don't have any sour grapes it's a big organization and there's you know when a complaint's put in they've got to action it yeah yes yeah um so but I was just, it wasn't, the rub wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. So, yeah, I pulled the pin on it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it wasn't easy. They made it really hard, really hard. Yeah. Yeah, so but I imagine at the time you would have been pretty resentful and you would have fucking hated them and otherwise you wouldn't have left. Yeah, it, there was moments of that. There were moments of that for sure. But... Not long, like, you'd have a moment where you're like, ah, oh, these dickheads, rah, 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 and then you'd be like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Then, then you'd break it down a bit, and you go, well, that person got the complaint. They have to action the complaint. They can't just not action it. That's how the government works. You, and if you think like that, then you're like, well, they had no choice. And did they action it reasonably? Well, they interviewed us. We answered the questions. Every time they said, okay, there's nothing to answer, and then we moved on. So they always actioned it reasonably. They were never unreasonable. Yeah. It was more just, and it was always, it would have, I bet you it would have been like the same sort of individuals each time. And the problem, I think the big problem is they've got this anonymous complaint um, process. Yeah, I don't believe so, in that. I, don't, I believe if you have something to say, you should fucking own it. <laughs> Yeah. There should be no anonymous complaint process. No. You're not allowed to be anonymous because you can just throw shit left, right, and centre, which they were doing. No, nothing was ever found. We, we never had a uh, case to answer. We asked the questions, we answered truthfully, and they said, oh, yeah, no worries. So um, there was never a case to answer, but because then anonymous complaint process, they had to do it. I, th yeah. I think that's probably a good distinction you've made there too, like... There's always going to be a few putrid individuals, but largely, it's just the bureaucratic organisational fuck around. Like it's just a, it's a big unwieldy bureaucratic beast, right? Like yeah. the the air force doesn't hate you. Some spastic yeah. dude that put the complaint in hates you, and then the yeah. system has to follow, and there's a flow-on effect. So that's yeah. that's probably the way you describe that. I've never really heard that sort of worded that way but that's interesting man I, I think I like that yeah because it, yeah. it, it, it accounts for like it accounts for a lot of the stress that people encounter in the military and it it removes a lot of that personal factor yeah if that makes sense so yeah it does they've got they've got to do their jobs like once they've got a complaint they can't just go ah this is just clearly this is sour grapes and just write on a bit of paper. Clearly, sour grapes. They've got a process they have to follow. So, 
And that, that and in fairness, they were never unreasonable. Yeah, they were never unreasonable. Ask the questions, we answer the questions. Nothing to answer, done. Yeah. And I imagine that was like the dude doing the interview was maybe a guy that knows better and was like, "There's no case to answer, but I'll go through the process and then you're good to go at the end." So he would probably would have been yeah. a reasonable person. Yeah, it's sort of always, um, it's sort of always rolled out that way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just went, "All right, I don't need this in my life anymore." See you later. Yeah. So what was that like yeah. going full time Canine Solutions? Uh, it was it was fine by then. By then it was fine because we, we had the contract with the police. Um, so I was basically working full time with the police anyway. Um, and um, I was also running Gertz Canine Solutions, like a spin off to the off the side, which is the CV stuff we were doing. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't. I really didn't need the work. So I was good. It was good. It sort of just relieved stress and gave me more time to focus on on the things I needed to focus on. Yeah, sweet. So I'll, I'll let you spare that whatever details you want. But tell me about the when you guys decided to go your separate ways. Um, mm. What was that sort of process like? Um. Well, it was me. Me. I left Canine Solutions. That, that's what happened, um, and it just was the right time. Things weren't working out anymore as, as they were previously. We weren't really getting on that well, um, and we hadn't been for some time. So um, it just wasn't it wasn't working anymore. Yeah. And for me, it was the right time to just go a separate way. So yeah. So I, I, I left Canon Solutions. That's sort of what happened. Yeah. Okay. And I um. Like when I see things like that, I go in in my head. I'd, I'd never, and only because I've got other people to, to base this off. I'd never go into business with a mate of mine because I I'd be so worried that it would ruin our friendship. And I've been so close, man. I've been so close to going into business with some people. Um, one guy in particular, yeah. I fucking really dodged that bullet. Um, but is that like is that a lesson you learn? Don't go into business with friends. Um, it's hard, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because a lot of good things happen. So it didn't. It didn't finish well. But a lot of good things happen, and that wouldn't have happened if if we hadn't done it. So, um, yeah, I I wouldn't say I regret it um, because. Yeah, we had some we had some epic times. We had some great times, and we, neither of us would be where we were where we are now without doing that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure. Did our our friendship didn't last the the journey? That's for sure. Which is which is unfortunate. Um, but I don't think I regret it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably another important important distinction to make too. Like. It's it's got you where you are now. So, like I'm almost the same with when I talk about all my mental health journey, leaving the military shit. I'm I'm actually really grateful for it. I en- yeah. ended up where I am now because of it. So, yeah. Anyway, um, all right. Yeah. So go hit, hit us with after you've left Canine Solutions. Yep. And are you still running Gertz Canine Solutions, or you've you've gone okay? Well, I've got to rebrand this now. Yeah, we basically rebranded. 
not long after. Not long after. So we were running Gert's Canon Solutions alongside Canon Solutions the whole time. Um, I was I was running a CV business before Canon Solutions, um, training some some civilian pets. Um, as I didn't really I didn't really name it, but um, so Gert's Canon Solutions and Canon Solutions sort of started together um, as an entity. Um, and then uh, um, when Canon Solutions ended, it didn't really make sense to keep it as Gertz Canon Solutions. Also, it wasn't really, a, I didn't like the name anymore because we were putting staff on and it wasn't really about just me. It was about a, a product, not not me. So I wanted to get, I wanted to get my name off the, off the name of the business. So, so for those both both of those reasons, we rebranded. Yeah. Okay. And then where did where did Kaizen come from? Actually, sorry, before Kaizen, before we get to Kaizen, um, I was just over in Perth recently, and I, I went out to to Waipole and met some people out there. Um, mm. Dog Squad, obviously. Talk us through when you were there running the capability. Yeah, um, so I was there for just over five years, five, five and a half years, um, with Canine SA for probably two and a half of those, and then um, with Kaizen Canine, and then as a full-time employee with Waypole for the last year. Yeah, so it's tough gig, tough gig, Re- really rewarding job. Yeah. Um, Really rewarding to see the job, the dogs go and do their job every night that, that you're training and developing and and you know we did the whole lot so sourcing puppies, sourcing adults, developing puppies, training adults, training juveniles, then training teams, picking handlers, <laughs> like the whole gamut, and then just to see that come to fruition at the at the end is is it. Um, Probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done in a in a job sense, in a business sense. Yeah. Um, because you know these were police dogs that were that were um, helping Perth um, take bad people off the off the streets. So it was it was super rewarding, but very very tough tough job. Very tough to balance personalities, politics of the of the place. Um, constant change in management and change in direction and, and stuff like that. Very difficult yeah. place to navigate. Mate, talk us talk us through the challenges, dude, because um, obviously you, you left eventually. Um, mm. And I know a lot of those, those Waypole people listen to this stuff. Um, what were some of the challenges you faced as, like, the capability manager? Um... Oh, so much. <laughs> Some of it was um, was it was a tough challenge at, at first, and and probably the whole time really is is um, maintaining credibility with some of them because you weren't a police officer, you're just yeah. a dog trainer. So there there was always this air of well, you don't really know what it's like because you don't do the job, and. It's true. I don't know what it's like because I'm not a police officer and I'm not a police dog handler. I'm just a dog trainer. Um, 
so I had to sort of not show away from that and just embrace that and go, yeah, I don't know what it's like. But if you give this a go, it could make your life easier in this this way and this way and this way. And there was that constant battle of trying to convince them that I'm not just approaching it from a dog training perspective. I'm trying to create behaviours that they need. So that was always a challenge. The change... in um, implementing change again the resistance to change in in the dog training and dog handling world is something of a phenomenon <laughs> I've not seen in any walks of life <laughs> if, as soon as you tell someone hey there may be a slightly you know, just a, a tiny bit better way of doing this <laughs> if they've been doing it for a while a certain way for like an hour yeah. they just don't want to hear about it um, some people some people open, but most say they're open, but, oh, yeah, no, we're always looking for better ways, and then you show them, and then they're just angry, and then they, they resist change. So working through that is probably the biggest challenge. Try to identify who, who will never accept change. Yep. And, and if they won't ever accept change, how do we navigate that environment? Um, who is open to change and you just need to, to show them, get some runs on the board and show them, and then how can I do that? And who's like, yeah, definitely, let's, let's do this. Um, and then how to motivate those people. It's uh, super complex, super hard. Yeah. So what, um, Because what... obviously that capability went from just a single purpose um, general duties dogs and when we got there like four or five of them wouldn't engage ever a real time target on the road um, and they had zero control zero so first we had to convince them they needed control that wasn't too hard because we just showed the bosses they've got zero control and the bosses are like well you've got to have control then all of a sudden everyone's like okay we have to so that one wasn't too hard. Um, engaging real time wasn't too hard either. Um, but, but this dual purpose thing, there was a strong resistance to that. The guys were like, they just wanted to hunt crooks. They didn't really want to find drugs. Yeah. Um, if, so that was, that was problematic. And then a lot of them didn't really believe in this, the dog's ability to identify the difference between friend or foe. Um, whereas coming from the special forces, that was um, a big part of their program, Huge, and they, yeah. they really taught me how to do that. And then I sort of saw them do that. And I'm like, wow, that's unbelievable. And I stole that and tried to use that over with with the WA police. But you know, they're like, ah, oh, we're not special forces dogs. <laughs> Fuck. Um, so that was difficult to implement as well. But, um, and then another challenge is the politics of the place. Um, people don't probably don't know the average Joe probably wouldn't realise the amount of scrutiny our police are, are under internally. It's it's incredible. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't do the, the job they do. I really and I don't I don't say that like oh I couldn't do that like just a flippant throwaway line. I really couldn't do it. They're under so much scrutiny. Yeah. Um, and 
so navigating that environment of the scrutiny they're under while trying to get the dogs to do the job they need to do while trying to motivate the people to get to get on board and accept change and all these things it was a very tough job very tough and how much stress does that add so that scrutiny piece how much stress does that add to handlers and and to like to police officers Immeasurable. I mean, again, I can't comment because I, I wasn't ever in that position, but I could certainly see the stress in them um, and, and, and the results of that stress. Um, and then think about that. Then they've got a high-drive dog, and we're giving them Lamborghinis, you know, crazy-driven dogs, um, and they're going to learn so fast. And, you know, if you make one mistake, you put a Lamborghini into a corner, you know. And that's uh, <laughs> um, that's what these dogs are like. So then they're under stress training. Then they're under stress. So yeah, I don't, they're under um, probably unfair amounts of stress. I think the, the scrutiny is crazy from their bosses, and then the job they've got to do is stressful enough as it is. Then they're on their own on yeah. the road as well. So yeah, very very tough job. And because, like, I'm here to tell you, like, when I was there a couple of weeks ago, like, the capability just, it looks fucking unreal. I was very impressed. Um, and the the guys and girls, man, they they love you, man. They were, like, they got, I tell you, they got a lot of respect for you, man, and, and what you did for that capability. Um, and, like, watching the dogs work and the, the, some of the fucking off-lead control they had and the way they bite and they their, their handling skills... Mate, I was just overall very impressed with West Australia Police Dog Squad. Oh, thank you. So, thank you. yeah, um, it's, good. it's nice to have nice things said. It doesn't mate, happen often in this industry. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, mate. Like, it was good to see that they were open to a lot of things. Um, and I don't want to open a can of worms, worms here, but like the e collar stuff. Um, yeah. They were, they'd seemed like they were very receptive and they, they knew how to use them too. And I could see the difference in the dogs, man. Like, fuck, they were snappy, dude. They were so snappy, so quick and driven and happy and just loved the work. So, yeah, it was fucking awesome to see, dude. Was, awesome. was the e-collar thing a huge challenge? Massive. Yeah. Massive challenge. The, it should have been a warning sign for me when I first got there because <laughs> I said, okay, one of the first things we need to do is um, get some equipment, all your equipment's outdated. And I said, we need electric collars. And I knew that they weren't going to come at um, chameleons straight up, which which was, uh, for me, the best e-collar. Um, so I went for what I thought was probably the, the second best at the time, had the features we needed, plus was still pretty reliable, which, which we went with a pro educator. And I said, we need to buy, you know, 30 of these. It's a big bill. And um, <laughs> the management at the time went to an um, uh, um, animal behaviourist at Murdoch. Oh, no. And asked what their opinion was. And obviously, they come back and said, oh, I think that's a terrible idea. Um your dog train your your dog expert isn't maybe such an expert you thought he was um because <laughs> modern Jesus. modern science and modern dog training says you can do all of this without any aversives you can just use positive reinforcement and he's obviously not up to date with modern science 
and um, blah, 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 blah. A big, big long-winded email. And, and if you want, I can help you um, with your capability if, if, you, if, you, if it's not too late to, to, to move this guy on. To get, to get a <laughs> so, real, real trainer in there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what she said. Oh, uh, dude, crazy, makes, crazy making me cringe. Stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff. So, so then I had to, to write a, a thesis basically on why I think e-collars are a good idea, why they need e-collars, um, why, and I had to, to, to counter, I think she had like 10 points or something and I had to counter those points. And, you know, fortunately, we don't do anything with no reason. Like everything we, we do is all thoroughly researched and, science evidence-based and and etc etc so it it really wasn't that hard to to produce an argument but i'll but i was really like you've hired me because i'm an expert the very first thing i decide to do you go and get it independently checked by someone else who actually has never trained a police dog or a military dog in their entire life (laughs) very odd very odd um but you know they they just they, they couldn't get away from the points I made, um, and and the lack of control they had. Oh, I I just videoed it and showed them, and then once they saw it, they were like, "Oh Jesus!" And Ecos will fix this, Ben. I'm like, "Yes, if used correctly with proper training processes, blah blah blah. blah. Yes, they will. Okay, please please fix it." <laughs> and that's that's so uh, that's what happened. But yeah. It's funny, mate. It's funny when uh, when when there's an outcome required and that they need a solution, then they're like, yeah. "Oh, okay, let's let's do it." Yeah. But if it's yeah. if it's pure ethics and they're purely process driven, then you know maybe they they wouldn't have adopted it. It was almost fortuitous yeah. to you that they did have a big problem. Yes. Because you know yes. you've got this the solution. Yeah, but and then you know. That's where a lot of pressure comes because then you've got to make it work. Yeah. Because you told them, yeah, we'll fix it. They're like, okay, okay there's your e-collars, fix it. And you have to then. Um, and fortunately, look, we had a lot of good people there at the time, a lot of good handlers, a lot of good trainers. They jumped on board and they put the processes in. And, um, you know, within 12 months, I think we had dogs doing emergency recalls that that hardly reacted to their own name 12 months earlier. So, um, yeah, it, it happened quick. And then uh, e-collars are mandated now for for their dogs. Like, they're actually not allowed to deploy their dogs without an e-collar on, um, which I think should be mandatory for all police dogs Australia-wide. Worldwide, like I think it's you've weaponized. This is the argument we presented. Uh, me, and, me and the other guy um, at the time who, who really couldn't have done any of it without him was um, Dave Stevenson, who's a um, uh, this this uh, dog training supervisor for my time there. Um, and the wording we put together was, um, you know, you've weaponized these dogs, and then once they're off leash, you must have control. Yeah, they must. There's no like, oh yeah, we've lost control. Then yeah, sorry about that. Um, um, and then one, one, once we put it to, to them like that, then they're like, yeah, we'll get do what you need to do to get control, and that's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. So lucky they didn't drink the Kool Aid of of old love. 
that suggested. Yeah, yeah. And look, she even quoted, you know, dog trainers that some dog trainer from England who reckons he's got dogs, police dogs trained with, with positive only. Um, and and there's no evidence. There's no evidence of this, and that's a problem with all this stuff. People just say whatever they want to say and quotes whatever studies they want to quote and then you know without evidence uh, they they have nothing to fall back on these pretend studies and telling me oh this guy trained police dogs positive only I'm like well show me the evidence of one of his dogs doing emergency recall and then you cannot get any evidence you know so because it's not it's not possible yeah yeah because, I mean, that's one of the demos that the guys did. They did a couple of emergency recalls. Um, like, while, you know, we're all standing out in the big field and they had the guy in the suit and they deployed the dog, called him back into a heel, nice snappy little heel, sent him away yeah. again on the bite, nice clean out. Yeah. Um, I've seen did it. Did he look scared? Did he look terrorised? No, mate, he's a happy little dog. <laughs> you know, there's no yelping, no bloody screaming no. Or, 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 like, flinching or anything. So, I mean, I'm not, not going to ask the... you that without even knowing what you saw because I know the dog would have been happy. It just been flying back, happy as Larry. Yeah. Ready for the next bite because he knows what, he's, what he has to do and he's happy to do it because we train him properly. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And, I, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit warren because I'm, I'm not the guy to explain how an e collar works. I can probably yeah. use it in a reasonably rudimentary way, but. Um, yeah. I'm an advocate for them because I've seen them use. I probably couldn't produce the same results. Well, I definitely couldn't produce the same results. You could, but I, at least I know that the proof's in the pudding and I've seen it, so I'm happy to yeah. advocate for it. Did you, um, did you ever have to speak to any other police departments and go, hey, man, we've, you know, we've, we're the flagship model, so to speak, for the, this particular use of e-collar. Have you thought about adopting this? Was that conversation ever had? Yeah, I've had it with a few, um, and s- some are, i just got to be careful how I navigate this conversation because I don't want to talk out of turn, but some some of the agencies are on board, they're like, well, we need this, and others won't, others are like, no, no, our dogs just find them, we'll control them with a leash, um, we don't really need control, we just need them to find them, um, which is, for my mind, mindset it's a little bit old old school sort of way of thinking um, because one day the dog will be off leash doesn't matter you'll make a mistake you'll drop the leash you the leash will break you'll jump a fence one day he will be off leash that's it one day it will happen and yeah. so my mindset is control was um a mandatory and and i don't think there's a police commissioner in the world who if you told him you know when your police, if your police dog is off leash and you wanted to go chase a cat and an old matey called him, he most likely won't come back. I don't think there's a commissioner in the world that would accept that. They're entitled to think their police dogs will come when they're called no matter what. They're entitled to think that. Um, so that was always my mindset. But some of the police agencies, that's not how they think. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're probably got, they've probably got different types of risk management, you know, like the risk of a dog biting a, a kid versus the reputational risk of we're using e-collars. And I guess it's, yep. it's almost a personal preference, you know, like one might be like, well, 
I'll cop all this shit from RSPCA and, and some blue-haired weirdo from a university, or a kid's going to get bitten. They're like, this is probably more likely, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. okay. And um, I, I want to I get off this topic in a minute because <laughs> it's never-ending, Rabbit Warren. Um, yeah. Like, the, the whole prong collar debate now with with this ban, and it doesn't really, for me, it looks like a paper tiger because it's like, they're like, we've banned prong collars and then legislation's like, unless you've got a valid reason <laughs> and there's no yes. list of valid reasons. <laughs> the valid reason could be like, oh, I've got a dog and I need a prong. They're not banned at all. Yeah. yeah. It just, I think it's yeah. a bit of a toothless tiger, mate, so. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think the ban on tools is, is a, is a huge mistake. Um, and that, let's be honest, the, I think the ban on tools is very short-sighted and it's just an emotive response to a bunch of emotive rhetoric coming from a, uh, a small group of extremists. Um, very vocal. And, and yeah, they're super vocal. It's always the extremists that are the most vocal. It doesn't make them right, though. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, that's where the world's sort of heading a weird place where whoever's the most vocal and the most emotional is sort of almost, or almost assumes to be the ones who are right. And this is another example of that. And it's just, it's just a bit silly. Um, what, what do we know? I know Cho Chains have injured more dogs than any training tool I've ever used. Cho Chains. But they're not banned but pinch collars and e-collars are getting banned all over the world. Uh, but choke chains have hurt way more dogs, way more dogs. For sure, blunt force trauma to the neck by a choke chain can do structural damage. It can cause massive injuries to dogs, and, and it does. And I've seen it injure dogs back in the crash and bash days with the wrath. Yeah. Um, the most aversive tool you'll ever put on a dog that, he, that every dog just about hates immediately is a gentle leader or, or a um, halty. halty. And that's the tool <laughs> promoted by force-free trainers all over the world. <laughs> and that's the most of it. That's the one your dog will hate the most. It's just we've gone a bit, well, somehow we've lost touch with reality. <laughs> we really have. And we... Um, you know, you've got people saying, putting advice on the internet to say, when your dog, when your puppy bites, you say, ow, and turn your back on him. Like, this is the most ridiculous advice, and it's making dogs aggressive all the time. We, we, can't, we have dogs coming to us who have been to force-free trainers with uh, handler aggression, human aggression, dog aggression, all the time, all the time. And it's, you can tell clockwork, oh, this dog comes in, he's human aggressive. Okay, tell me how it started. Well, when he was eight weeks, we went to puppy school and they told us to do this. And then we always took him away when he went over his threshold and gave him treats to make him feel better. And like the double reinforcing aggression. And it's again and again and again and again and again. And then it gets to you, he's two and a half, three years old, now he's dangerous and you've got to try and fix it. Where if they had just said, no, don't do that, <laughs> when he was a 12-week-old puppy, he would have gone, okay, I'm not allowed to do that. 
and we would have been done. Um, but it's this ridiculous thing that they're doing now. I, I don't understand it. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but the answer is certainly, it used, I used to think the answer was, hey, just mind, mind their own business and keep doing what we do because whatever, they're just, they're just extremists and they don't really matter. But that's not working. They're yeah. going to ban tools and then we're not going to be able to train dogs properly. Um, why do I use an e-collar? Because I can achieve the results I used to achieve with a leash with less than half the amount of stress to the dog. Yeah. Why wouldn't I use it? It makes no sense not to. Um, but the positive only crowd would have you believe they can achieve it without any use of aversives. However, they offer no evidence. Zero. And, and people just got to start realising that. And that's why I think it's great what Ivan's doing, what Robert Cabral's doing, where they're speaking up and then they're just telling it how it is. And, um, yeah, hopefully they've, they've done it in time and, um, you know, it'll reach the, the decision makers and, and we can stop this sort of silly ban on tools and and let dog trainers train dogs again. Yeah. So what, a, what about the, the counter-argument? So almost like I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What yeah. about those guys out there, guys and gals out there that are still crash and bash, it's all fucking based on dominance and just fucking throw a pinchy on him. Those kind of people, is that yeah. damaging to people like you who have a bit of nuance? Because I think a lot of people in their mind, it's it's binary, right? You're full positive and, and you can do everything with just food or yeah. you're some like dog abusing, crash and bash, just fucking throw a pinchy yeah. on him guy. Whereas you're like, fucking hang on a minute. <laughs> That's... It's not one or the other. There's there's plenty of space in the middle here. Yeah. Is that equally as damaging to you? Do you have to fight that argument oh, too? Probably more so. Probably yeah. more damaging. Yeah, because you get labelled with the same brushes then. So I don't refer to myself as anything other than a dog trainer. But as soon as you say you use e-collars and pinch collars... All of a sudden, you're a dog abuser, you're a balanced trainer, and you must use crash and bash, and we don't do that. I was going to ask you about that term. I was chatting to Brad Griggs the other day from um, uh, Canine Service International from Melbourne. Yeah. We had this conversation on the phone. It's almost like if you're not positive only, you're you're these guys. You're the other end of the spectrum smacking dogs up and, and, uh, you know, you use the word balanced. It's almost been a hijacked term, like... Oh, you're balanced? Well, you must, like, you know, balance your fist on a dog's nose. That must be what that means, you know? <laughs> That's right. Where it's, it's not the case, yeah. you know? I think people like to simplify things because it absolves them of, of, of the thought process of, of that middle yeah. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah That's why I, I distance myself from that term. I just, I'm just a dog trainer and who is aware that dogs need to have boundaries. And dogs need to not. And dogs aren't this mythical <laughs> organism, the only mythical organism on earth that doesn't understand to move away from bad and move towards good. That's they're not. They know just like every other living organism that how to do that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you if you come and watch our training, ninety five to ninety eight percent of it is 
through positive reinforcement. There's a time, and sometimes the dogs get in trouble, but it's very rare. Usually, um, it's all positive. Yeah, um, and and, and that, that's and that, you can see that in our dogs; they're happy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's where people don't seem to understand that, like. We, you may not like the pure positive crowd, but it's not like you're saying that nothing they do works. You're like, I, I'm, I, I mostly, like, I'll use all of what you use. That's all good stuff. But I'll, I've got a couple of extra little things in the toolkit too. Yeah. Yeah, we use counter conditioning, pre-MAC principle, um, um, differential reinforcement techniques. We use all that sort of positive stuff. But we also, if they're doing un, strong undesired behaviour, sometimes we'll say that's a bad idea, don't do that, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, and they usually pick it up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which means less stress for them, less stress for us. They can be off leash. Yeah, yeah. proof's in the pudding, mate. Um, yeah. So, mate, let's let's go on to Kaizen then. So, uh, is it yeah. Kaizen, you say? Kaizen. Yep, so Kaizen, now if I'm not mistaken, that means incremental change or small changes or something like that. Uh, continuous improvement. Continuous improvement, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. I, yeah, I try and so use the same principle with my business with, with the gear, for example. Like here's another iteration of what you've seen previously, oh, yeah. you know, which I'm trying to <laughs> incrementally improve. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah. I'll show you that after, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. We I was looking for a new business name because obviously, as I told you, we decided we, we needed to change that uh, for all the reasons I've already said. And I literally, I believe strongly in continuous improvement. And like I told you, like the way we were doing things three years ago is already different. And, and even six months ago, like we're constantly just chipping away at things and trying to be better. And I literally Googled continuous improvement. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There's no mythical thing. And the word Kaizen came up. And I used to have a little thing um, in the mid sort of 2000s, mid to late 2000s, where I was looking into Zen a little bit. And I got, I, I like the philosophy, the idea of it. I'm not, I'm not a wacko, but <laughs> I like the sort of idea of just sort of um, finding some sort of inner peace in things. And so that little, on the end of the Kaizen, I really liked it. Um, so I started banding it around and throwing it at a few people. And most people said, that's terrible. <laughs> 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 that's a terrible name. No one's going to know what it means. Um, half the people won't be able to pronounce it. Are you even pronouncing it right, Ben? <laughs> You're like, I've done at least 15 minutes of Googling. I know exactly what this means. <laughs> Yeah, so um, typically for me, I didn't listen to anyone and we went with the name anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I, I actually, I like it, mate. I, I, I like the name. I think it's, because I mean, I, through my business, I understand what it means um, and I, I think it's the perfect name for dog training because you're not promising or even trying to get quick results it's it's this is i'm changing a dog's opinion and behavior based on small increments over a period of time i like that yeah 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 that was that's exactly sort of the way 
we were thinking of it, and not, and not just changing the dogs with small increments at a time and just constantly chipping away, but actually the business processes, the staff. Like, I want that sort of mindset in the whole business. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's sort of what... Well, I really liked it. Once I once I saw it, I pretty much had decided straight away. That's it. And then I, I ran it past a few people. Most people didn't like it, <laughs> but I but I, I really liked it, so I stuck to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see you're the, you're the one person that does like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it, mate. It took me a little while to, to work out that it was you because you popped up a couple of times on my feed, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, this? I didn't click on it. Um, yeah. So, as as a business owner now, so as a veteran in the business space, and you talked a, b- a bit before about tall poppy syndrome, um, mate. Give us the give us the rundown on, on some of the challenges of being a business owner, particularly in the business space. And I, I know you don't you're not throwing the veteran thing out there all the time, posing and showing all your old photos and whatever, but you are in the veteran business space. What's that like? Yeah. Um, for the most part, it's, it's not too bad for the most part. Um, people are pretty good. Um, it's hard work running your own business, as you know. You're pretty much working all the time. Yeah. Even when you're on some sort of holiday. Like the, the weekend just gone, I took my daughter to Albany She's got into go-karting, which is a, a terrible idea. If, you, if you've got kids and they want to do go-karting, talk them out of it, talk them into anything else. Um, but she loves it. She's crazy for it. So we're down at Albany, but we were working. My wife and I were working the whole time we're down there, yeah. answering emails on the phone, as I'm sure you, you know, you, you'd be well aware. So there's that There's that part. Um and then there's a, there is the tall poppy syndrome where, you know, it's almost like everyone, uh, uh, there's a, a select few people that really always just resent you for doing anything bold and anything. And if and any sort of success, they're like, they get angry at you. Um, but I've learned not to not worry about that anymore. Yeah. I used, it used to bother me. I, I really couldn't care less now. Um but we still get it from time to time. Someone will write something really negative or something for, for no other reason than to hurt you, which I don't really understand that mindset at all, trying to hurt someone, their livelihood, their family, because you resent them. I, I don't get that at all. Um, it's not, I'm not that person at all. So for me, I just, we just have a new thing now. When someone does something like that and we know it's just motivated through you know, professional jealousy or just resentment, we just block and delete. Okay. <laughs> Move on. Yeah, so, um, and since I've taken that approach, and, and rumour mill, I don't even listen to the rumour mill, whatever, I don't care anymore. I'm just too busy doing our thing. Yeah, like you don't even tune into it anymore, like. No. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, personally, I've had a, a pretty good experience in business, you know, like I, yeah. I don't. It's coming, mate. Yeah, in, in, the, in this in this particular business in Origin Canine, I, yeah. I've maybe twice someone's talked shit about me, and it, and it was like really innocuous stuff, like, oh yeah. that guy's a loudmouth, or I saw him, you know, he was dressed all tactical or whatever, just real petty shit yeah. like that. Yeah. But like, 
I don't. I just don't think I'm linked in enough to those yeah. kind of conversations that I hear any of that other shit. Yeah, yeah. And That's like, like I, yeah. So, um, can you give it? Not we don't have to name anyone, but like, what sort of stuff are you talking about? The sort of heat that you get from people is it just like rent comments or? Um, no, in the in the past, probably some of the worst thing we had in the past was um, well, we might sort of wear cams while we're doing a training serial, and, and people would accuse us of trying to pre- pretend to be operators or something like that. Oh, okay, um, that's that's a pretty typical yeah. one, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and like we wear cams when we're training those dogs because they're going to go to an environment where they wear cams, like. <laughs> so we're just preparing them for their environment. Um, so we've had that. Obviously, we've had um, other people sort of, you know, try and say you can only train certain breeds, even though we train everything from Maltese, Shih Tzu crosses through to Dobermans, Rottweilers, German Shepherds, Malamars, Cattle Dogs. <laughs> we train that many different breeds now, it's not funny. Um, but you get you get things like that if you train too many Malamars. Oh, he's just a Malamar guy. And, you know, that stuff used to bother me, but it doesn't bother me at all anymore. I don't, I don't care. Why do we prefer Malamars for police and military dogs? Because they're better. <laughs> That's it. Okay. If yeah. German Shepherds were better, I'd be using them. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to, like, dwell on the negative part. Um, just... The, the business space and the veteran space interests me because we do have a lot of that tall poppy sort of stuff. Um, yeah. But I like to convey to people that listen who may want to go into the business space, I like to sort of let them understand some of the challenges of these, of, of like running your own business and the sort of stuff that you just have to let go of. Um, yeah, you got to let go of a lot. Um, also, like the way you train. Like, if you believe in it and you're putting out some good results and, like, you've got to market yourself a bit. So we put out training videos and stuff and we'll be doing stuff at Stan and there's always someone going, oh, yeah, oh, that didn't look too good and that wasn't sharp enough and whatever. And if, if you're not willing to accept a bit of that, then you, then you don't put your work out there. But if you're not putting your work out there, then then you're not showing people what you can do. And, and, I, and I'm... A, a real believer in, in dog training, you have to be showing people what you can do so they can see, okay, he's telling me he can, this is, and giving advice on dog training and training people how to train dogs, but what does he do with his own dog? Um, and that's a big thing I think in this industry is too many people talk about dog training but don't actually do it. Like, that Zach George guy, that's a classic example. I don't really <laughs> mind mentioning him. That's, yeah, yeah. Because he really is not a dog trainer. But he's giving dog training advice out. It'd be like me giving advice about doing surgery because I used a Band-Aid on someone's knee once. Um, it really is that, that far removed from actually being a dog trainer. But people are taking his advice and buying a hook, line and sinker. And he's trying to have conversations with you know, world champions and people that have got credentials for 40 years worth. Um, so I, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to show your work a little. Yeah. And when Precious you do that, you've got to be ready for a little bit of criticism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely, man. So how much faith do you have in 
all the police departments, military, dogs sort of world, in, do you think we're moving in a good direction or do you think we're starting to stray a little bit from the path? Uh, oh, it's hard, it's hard to say. Broad question, I know. My, yeah, my, my sort of um, um, experience and knowledge is really limited to the WA police. Um, I've had a little... I've delved a little bit into the other agencies, but not too much, so I really can't really comment. I did a, a good seminar with the Vic po- Victoria Police Dog Squad last year. Yeah. It was a problem-solving a problem solving one. So that was good. It's, it's good to see most agencies are pretty open to change um, in some areas, but they've all got the same problem. We've got, they've got individuals who've been there a long time that, that are really have a strong resistance to change. They cause a lot of problems, internal internal problems. So that's that's an issue. But I don't know. It's hard hard for me to say. I think moving in the right direction, yeah, training true. wise, awesome, but slowly. Yeah, yeah. And what? Um, oh, Bart Bellin. I just want to touch on Bart Bellin because I know yeah. Bart Bellin, Nepo Po. That's that's a big part of. Uh, at least a big part of your history and your education. Like, can you give us a rundown on? Yeah how you come across him, how he's influenced you, that type of stuff? Yeah, I saw him a long time ago in Brisbane. I went to an e-collar seminar he ran. Um, I think he was working with Enatech still back then. Um, And very super charismatic presenter. Um, It made a lot of good sense. And I I was blown away by more so how well he presented and how entertaining he was than anything, to be honest. Um, Not that the content wasn't great either. The content was great, but I was really blown away by how good a presenter he was and how entertaining he was. Um, He was, you know, e-calling his own eyelids and all sorts of stuff to show people, you know, they're not that as aversive as people think. What was Um, he he doing? Yeah, he he e-collared his own eyelids, so he literally pulled down his eyelid put an e-collar on it and zapped his eyelid. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, did some, he did some crazy stuff. Um, very entertaining. That was the first time I saw him. And then um, later on, while I was working at the regiment, um, he, he had started those silver and gold schools. Yeah. And I was really lucky that I convinced someone at the regiment to pay for me to go to his silver school. Um, which I, we never would have been able to afford it otherwise. Um, and it really opened my eyes up to how little I knew about dog training again, which was very confronting because I started in 1999. This was in 2000 and I was at the regiment, so 2013, 2014-ish, somewhere along there. Um, so I'd been doing it a while. I thought I was pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> but I was on, if you know anything about the Dunning-Kruger effect, I was on the peak of Mount Stupid. I was just about to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realise I was on the peak of Mount Stupid. And then I looked over and I realised, oh, man, I don't know shit. Um, so pretty confronting, but also awesome because I realised, wow, there's much more to this than I, th- than I thought. And I knew where all I could start to see where all the things I was not good at, why I was they weren't working, and I sort of also saw why some of the things I was doing well were working, 
and then we were able to improve very quickly after that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. How many times um, have you actually? Then I oh, did gold. Ahead. Sorry, mate. I did gold with him as well. After that, we had to do gold. Jason Kelly, we we paid for Jason Kelly to do the silver and gold as well because we realised that this was a, a missing key to our to our education as dog trainers. Um, so we jumped into it. Yeah, and we haven't looked back. Is that still what you do today, like largely kind of Nipopo based with your pet stuff as well? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Man. Where we can, where we can. Obviously, the, the beauty of the, of, of the Nipopo approach and the way Bart and Michael teach it is it's open to interpretation and they more show you really in detail how dogs learn and, and how when you're working in the different quadrants, what the pros and cons are and where those things can head. And then and then there's the Napopo way and then there's the old Napopo way which sometimes we use and then the new way which sometimes we use as well. The new way can be very, very, very difficult to understand for, for someone new to dog training. So with our pet clients, we often do the old stuff first and until they start to get it. When they start to get it, then we introduce them to a bit of the new stuff. Um, our own dogs, the more I train our own dogs, the more I'm, I'm trying to use their, their new sort of style. Um, yeah, and it's a, it's a very enjoyable way to train dogs. Really, yeah. Really, a very fun way to train them, yeah. Because I've got a very rudimentary understanding of Nipopo. Like I did it, I did it at Two Commando in the CAD cell. Um, I didn't do silver or gold school, but that was the formal kind of education process we followed. Yeah. And then I've, like, you know, I went to a Pat Stewart seminar a couple of years ago, and I, I really like Pat because he's similar to Bart in the sense he's a really good presenter. Yeah. Like he just, it's very palatable the way he teaches. So. Yeah. Yeah, awesome, man. So, what, what's going on next, dude? Like, what, what's going on in the in the business next? Big plans? Um, just doing what you do, grinding away. Uh, no, we're always looking for the next thing. Um, we're, we're gonna, we're probably gonna move away from the biting dogs for police and military. Well, we are actually. We plan to move away from that. Okay. And we're probably well, we're gonna move towards some detection stuff. Um, so there really isn't a market for detection dogs. The market's sort of owned by um, Border Force, but we're going to try and see if there if we can create a market for trained dogs, trained detection dogs that actually come doing a final response and um, isolating an odor. Uh, so that's we're going to we're going to give that a go. Um, also, just got a couple of greyhounds. <laughs> We're going to see if we can raise a couple of greyhounds. It's a bit random. That's more just um, as I get older, I realise life's too short. So I, I love watching greyhounds run. It, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's amazing how, how powerful and how, how majestic they look when they're running. So I'm basically doing that just because it's fun. Um, and, and I've got a little theory that if you show some greyhounds a lot, some love when you're raising them, and you raise them a bit different to how they're raised with their, you know, um, normal way. That I'm wondering if they'll run faster. 
they'll be happier and freer of mind and, and they'll run faster. So stay tuned. It's probably all bullshit. And, um, <laughs> but uh, you never know. Like they're fucking so, slower. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. He just wants to sit down and eat cake. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what a disaster. Go and get to find a cake dealer now. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're, we're dabbling with that. But mainly you want to focus on training. Um, doing seminars, yeah. do some more seminars, um, some courses. We're um, going to be recognised very shortly as a NAPOPO multiplicator, which means we can deliver a silver school um, and a gold school, um, but only in um, yeah, the, the, the new way, not, not under the balance. Um, so we're going to look at that. That, sh- that should be happening soon. Um, and then just keep refining what we're doing with, with, with pets. We've got a lot of group classes going on. Um, I do three Schutzen classes a week now, um, three functional obedience classes a week, and one Spartan Warriors class. And then uh, one of our staff runs an odor detection class as well, like a, um, a noseworks class. So we're quite busy with the group classes, so we're just going to keep chipping away and growing that stuff as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen all the socials, man. You're doing a lot of stuff. Um, looks really cool, dude. Looks like you're having a, you having a heap of fun. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're definitely. And the more fun we're having, I think the more success we're having as well. But, yeah, we're definitely really enjoying it. It's a good working environment. Um, the group classes are uh, a lot of fun. Um, people enjoy it. And, and we're getting results, you know. We're, get, we're really getting results. And, and this is where I, I hope the world starts to sort of start to really look at results. We're, we're having some human-aggressive dogs, which were human-aggressive, now unrecognisable. You would, you would see it and you would think, that you're lying, Ben, by telling me it's human-aggressive. And, and we're doing that by using a pragmatic approach, counter conditioning, pre-MAC, differential reinforcement, and some punishment. We're we're not just doing one or the other. Um, Yeah. And and we're having some good good results. It's not always great, and it always takes hard work, um, and it's that incremental change that you were speaking about, but we're getting some really good results, so that's pleasing as well. So, yeah, but that's where we're, we're headed. What does the future hold? I don't know. Maybe more more centers um, with this with our with our sort of approach to training more training centers in the future maybe um, we're south of the river in Perth I'd like to start one north of the river um, but we've got to get the capital to make that sort of happen which is which is easier said than done yeah. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in that position, mate. I've already burned through all the uh, cash that I injected into the business myself, and now I'm like, oh, I better start making money. <laughs> it's not easy running yeah. a business. Is not easy. Yeah, and but the like you were saying, man, the taxes. Well, I'm in that stage where I've spent so much fucking money. I'm still getting money back through tax. Yeah. So I haven't come out that other side yet where I'm yeah. making more money than I've spent, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah it does. Time, yeah. time will tell. 
Well, hopefully it turns a corner for you, mate. I'm sure it will. Your gear's good. Thanks, runs, bro. Um, loves your gear. Harnesses are epic. The angles seem... They all seem right with your harnesses. It's, I really like the harnesses. Yeah. Mate, there's, there's little changes like... You know, some of the way the cops do things are a little bit different between agencies. So there's little things that yeah. I change and, you know, some of the ways they track or whatever. So, again, mate, I'm in a constant state of change, dude. And I'm yeah. I'm trying to make sure that I'm constantly changing in the right direction instead of changing my yeah. tail, you know. Because yeah. there's always like, oh, I like the handle at the front and handle at the back. You should have two clips. You should have one. I like the metal. I don't like the plastic. You know, just yeah. little things like that. So, yeah. You can't please everyone, but I think if you're chipping away at it, you can't you can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. Mate, yeah. where so if somebody listening to this podcast wants to um, abuse you and send you some dog training advice and comment on, on your videos, where are they gonna find you, mate? Oh please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wanna be found. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, um, we're uh, Kaizen Canine. Dot com, so that's our website. We've also got Facebook. Um, we do a lot of our, run a lot of our business through Facebook. It just seems to be a real nice, easy, easy medium for us to navigate. Um, so that's where they can find information about our, um, what's going on um, and, and our training style and techniques. We put a lot of stuff on there. Um, to find out about our Classes, jump on our website, kaizenkanar.com, and you'll find stuff there. We're also on Instagram, but that's I just throw photos and, and weird shit up there for a laugh. Um, it's just a bit of fun. Um, yeah, that, that's it, yeah. Done, bro. Hey, uh, uh-huh. mate, I'll, I'll end the chat here, but don't like hang up or anything. It just stops the recording. Okay. I've done yeah. that a bunch of times. Um, mate, thanks for coming <laughs> on, dude. Um, no worries. Thanks for having me. No, bro, I appreciate it, man, because um, you know I always tell my guests, mate, your time's is your most valuable asset, dude, and you've just given me some of your time, so um, that's not lost on me, and I appreciate it, bro. No, thanks for the opportunity. It's good for business, you know. You get a bit more um, coverage, so it works for me too, so no, I appreciate that. All good, my man. And uh, hopefully, at the very least, people got a bit of a laugh. <laughs> All right, Ben, thanks for coming on, mate. Catch you later. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Look after yourself. Have a good one. Gotcha. Oh, you stupid. Thank you for listening to the show and we hope it inspired you to be better and live at your potential. Stay tuned for our next episode or check out our range of tactical canine equipment at www.origincanine.com.